So we're in a series on, on kingdom theology. And um, I, I just want to address the fact, why do we make such a big deal about this? You know, because there's a lot of ways of understanding scripture. There's a lot of ways of talking about, you know, the, the biblical understanding of things. There's a lot of schools of thought. And I just want to underscore why this is a big deal for us, why this is a big deal for me. You know, uh, studying these things, reading these things, there's something unusually freeing about seeing the entirety of scripture through this lens. And it's so good for my soul to not be confined and not to, as Nikisha was even saying, we don't want to try to tackle this thing with our own minds and try to understand, but if we can have a framework where everything fits, thank you, God. So it's not just another way of explaining things or understanding things. It's not just one of many, but there's this quote from C.S. Lewis, which I like. He says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And, and that's the, the lens that we're talking about, right? It's not just of understanding why he died on the cross. It's not just an understanding of, of I'm a sinner and I need grace. It's this way of seeing God has a plan. <laughs> it's a way of seeing there's purpose in this stuff. It's a way of seeing past my own hurts, my own insecurities, my own failures, my own anxieties, and seeing the goodness of God day in and day out. Kingdom theology gives us that kind of perspective. Not just understanding scripture or history or philosophy, but really a holistic way of understanding things. And what I found for myself is that whenever I'm confronted with a question or a doubt or an anxiety or a fear, an understanding of, of this world, the whole story of us, our relationship with history and our, our future hope, if I can frame it as a kingdom issue, all of a sudden it starts to make sense. It, it's, it's a way of, of reverting this from being something that's like, gosh, I don't know what that means, to saying, but God is in charge. It's, it's a way of saying, even when I'm disappointed, God is in charge. It's a way of looking at the story of Job and David and Moses and Jacob and Israel itself and saying, well, they were a mess. <laughs> How did this work out for them, you know? Because God is in charge. Because we have a good king who sits on the throne and best of yet, I think, it seems to be what Christ himself came to preach. Christ came proclaiming the kingdom. He could have used so many words to, to describe what he was doing, but when Christ came, the scripture says, he came preaching the kingdom. So the kingdom being at hand or, or within reach is perhaps the most profound thing I think that Jesus ever said. You know, Jesus said a lot of profound things, among them being, you know, pick up your mat and walk. You know, Lazarus, come forth. These are profound things. But he proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. And I want you to know that, that bad theology tells you you have to chase after something or that you have to try to understand this thing perfectly before it applies to you or that your faith is insufficient because obviously it hasn't manifested itself yet or that you failed in some ways and, and th this is the story why we're struggling that you have to go here or you have to go there to lay hold of it, or that it's in heaven for us one day, so don't worry about it now, and, and just one day later it'll make a lot of sense to you. So just hold out, put out for a future hope, or that this world is disposable because it is in heaven. And think about it, how many charlatans or well-intentioned teachers point somewhere else, right? Got to look over their misdirection or, or they try to confuse the issue. They, they don't give straight answers. Jesus came saying the kingdom of God is now at hand. I mean, that's a bold proclamation. For him to read from Isaiah 
in the temple and say, this scripture is now fulfilled in your hearing. That's boldness to say the kingdom has now come. It's not simply saying, oh, isn't this a great understanding? Or imagine if this was true. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. Hear now me. Mark 1.15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Matthew 3.2, he says it this way, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 10, 7 through 10, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. Let me tell you, there is a wealth of healthy understanding in verses eight and nine there where it says, freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. Don't take money for this. Don't confuse the kingdom of God with the kingdoms of this world, right? Don't confuse this message with wealth. Keep the message clear. You'll receive shelter and food and what you need, and God's got you. What an amazing message of freedom. Because we worry about the, the, how this stuff is going to be demonstrated. We worry about how this is going to be played out. We worry about all these details. And he says, take nothing for the trip. Nikisha, you might hear a lot of what you shared in this sermon. <laughs> and, and it's wonderful when this happens. Nikisha might be a better speaker than me too. So if you heard Nikisha, you might be able to tune out for a lot of this message. Um, there's two things I want to say about the kingdom being at hand. And they, they kind of blend together. The first thing, being at hand so can we see it? Can we recognize it? Can we proclaim what's at hand? So what is at hand for us really when we think about this? You know, often we have problems and situations that are at hand, and sometimes we find solutions that are at hand as well. There, there's big problems in this world, right? They can be overwhelming. A lot of them are beyond our pay grade. World hunger, right? Disease, COVID-19, political corruption, sex trafficking. You know, these are big problems. And a lot of us get really concerned about these things, and rightly so, because they're big problems. And sometimes they touch the people that we love, and we hate that. And we look at this big problem, and we think, what can I even do? <laughs> I, I, I don't even know if I can graduate from this class I'm taking. I don't, I don't even know if I can pay my bills this month. I don't even know if I'm a good enough person. I don't even know if I, my kids are getting the right stuff. I don't even... How can I worry about sex trafficking when I, I don't even know if my marriage is going to make it through this month, right? And we struggle with these big picture problems because the things at hand often seem more pressing. So what can I control? What's at hand for me? What I've seen is that when we start understanding our own life by this picture of the kingdom has, is at hand, things start to grow from there. What's at hand? My sinfulness is at hand. My response to God's presence, my taking of communion with the fellowship of, of, of saints that are gathered in this church is at hand. My attention to his voice is at hand. Those whom God has entrusted me to love is at hand. And what I see is that as we're faithful with these things that are at hand, these problems that are at hand, as we give them to God, things begin to grow and manifest and take shape. 
because we bring light into this. We bring God's rule and reign into this. It's not that we bring wisdom. It's not that, that we are now engineered in such a way to, to, to dismantle cancer and bring that cure to this whole thing. But when we pray for our neighbor who has cancer, we bring the kingdom of God to something that is at hand for us. We're faithful with what is on hand and our reach begins to grow. And then we're not on a shaky foundation when we do reach out. So what else is on hand? When, when you're cooking, right? You, you look in your fridge and you see what ingredients do I have on hand? I've got this, this picture here of, of three things. Can you tell me what, what's common about this? If anybody who has kids, you probably know what these are. It's Dora's backpack, Mickey Mouse O'Toole, and uh, Batman's utility belt. You know what's going on with these three? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? They're, they're candy. You, have you ever noticed how magical these things are? They always have exactly what you need. Batman, I was so disappointed, I'll tell you, as a kid. I got Batman's utility belt. I was a big, big Batman kid growing up. And I got his utility belt, and it had, like, the, the, the battering and, like, handcuffs. And I remember, like, seeing in the cartoon, Batman could pull out, like, smoke bombs. And, like, he always had what the situation needed in his belt. My belt was not so good. <laughs> you know, but this is the thing, Right? The kingdom of God being at hand means God's rule and reign is at hand. Do you know how deep his storehouses are? Do you know how good he is? Do you know how wise he is? You know, there's so many things that we need that we don't know that we need. And when we start reaching for the tools that we think that we need, when we start reaching for the wisdom that we think we have and we try to apply this by our own things, we're going to pull out the same things every single time. It's important to, to not think that things that are on hand is the same thing as at our disposal, okay? It's not the same thing as that. It's kingdom again. It, we got to remember this is the rule and reign. It gets murky, and, I, and when it gets murky, I feel like I need to rephrase these problems. Saying, I've got the kingdom of God at hand, so I'm just going to start casting it out like, like this, doesn't make as much sense to me. It's easy to think God's kingdom's at hand, therefore I should, you know, do X, Y, or Z. And then I've turned the kingdom into myself and my own understanding yet again. It's not fully a kingdom understanding. Or because I understand that the kingdom of God is close, that means X, Y, and Z. Again, now I've made this about my understanding of the kingdom of God and, and something that I can now deduce. And maybe I don't have that wisdom to understand, oh my goodness, what does this mean if the kingdom of God's at hand? I need to apply godly wisdom to this thing. But when we know that God's actual rule and reign is on hand. It means that we have confidence that he's got this. That I can take confidence and draw close to him, shelter the storm, be refreshed and renewed, know where to go and what to do. Not because of myself, not because of my understanding, not because I've walked this way before, but because he is king. And there's a big world of difference in trying to approach this with my best understanding of kingdom theology and actually saying, you know what, God? You come. You are king. I trust you to have this. And when we have that approach that God, you are king, it actually addresses those first two things. We then know what to do and we have the right understanding because it all starts to make sense in that way. We have to seek first his kingdom. That's Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I want to put this verse in context so that you can tune me out later and you can still hear this then. This is starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God, I have bills. God, I have children. God, I have retirement. God, my car runs on gasoline. Maybe you don't know that it's over $3 at the pump now. He knows. He knows. This then isn't a command to not be anxious. Have you ever felt disobedient because you felt bad about something? You were anxious and then you felt like, oh my goodness, I'm sinning because I'm not doing this. And you get yourself all worked up over this when God is really saying, chill. (laughs) He's saying, peace. He's saying, be still and know that I'm the Lord. Know know he's king. Know that, what's what's your cup? Oh, (laughs) perfect. When we know that he's king, when we know that he's a good king, all of this starts to kind of work out okay. He knows what our needs are. So it's not a command to not be anxious. Then you feel anxious about feeling anxious and you can't help yourself. It's an invitation to know the kingdom of God, to know it's at hand. It's a way of seeing and interacting with God in such a way that is relevant, that's powerful. Therefore, do not be anxious. Because the king reigns, don't be anxious. Because he cares for you, don't be anxious. I I say this often, but maybe not often enough, that I I believe that the answer to the world's problems are in these seats. And I, I really, I mean that, okay? And I don't mean this because of how wonderful you all are, even though you are all very wonderful, but because of who your king is. And the way that the Lord has chosen to expand his kingdom through some mysterious and questionable way is through us. That we go and proclaim and practice this. That you speak love where there's hate. That you speak forgiveness where there's been hurt and offense. That you speak all of these things with the authority and power that comes with the king sitting on the throne. What an amazing thing. So I believe that yes, there's peace for the Middle East in the seats of these chairs. I believe that the answer to world hunger is in the seats of these chairs. I believe that cancer can be healed by those who are in the seats of these chairs because your king is the king of all. I believe that. Now, we don't always act like that, and I think it's because we forget. We think it's about my understanding. We think it's about my faithfulness. We think it's about these things that I have to do or these things that I have to understand. I have to have the right understanding. I have to have the right motivation, all these, and we examine ourselves. It's about the king. It's about him, and that's kingdom theology. By that light, all this stuff starts to make sense, and I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be embarrassed if I pray for somebody and nothing happens. You ever feel embarrassed for God? Let me tell you, that's not practicing kingdom theology. 
You're extending your authority. You're trying to be the center of attention. In praying for the sick, when God is king, you can say, God, we know you love, so therefore be healed. That is a kingdom prayer. And then if, if it's not, then we have a kingdom understanding. It's a kingdom of now and not yet. Kingdom theology makes perfect sense. It's not fully here yet, but yet we long for it. This is what the Bible promises. We see it in part. We know it in part, but yet not fully now. Sometimes our neighbors need a hug. Sometimes they need $20. Sometimes they need a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes they need a word of encouragement or rebuke. We can do all of this because the king reigns. We're subject to him. We obey him. We speak and act with his authority. So going back to the things on hand, you know, what do we reach out and grab when I need something? I'll, I'll eat Swiss cake rolls because you know what? They're here <laughs> and I'm here. They're not great, <laughs> but I'm hungry and they're a ready-made snack, right? And so you open up the pantry and like, I could make something, but that's going to be work. But I have a Swiss cake roll right here on hand. This, by the way, is a real example. <laughs> if, you, if you go into my pantry right now, you'll see those little Debbie's cakes. Not proud of this. Who has your, in their silverware drawer, who has a blunted knife tip from trying to use it as a screwdriver? <laughs> Do you know why you have a blunted knife tip? Because it was on hand. <laughs> you were saying, I have a screwdriver, but it's all the way in the garage. And there's just this one screw. I bet it's good enough. I bet I can solve this problem with what is on hand without getting the right tool for the thing. So instead of seeking the right tool, we use what's on hand. Do we know that the king's rule and reign is actually on hand? Or do we still grab the, the Swiss cake rolls and the, the kitchen knives trying to solve these problems? Or do we actually have the eyes to recognize that the king is on the throne. He's on the throne for my gas bill. He's on the throne for my retirement. He's on the throne for my kids' education, for the health of my marriage, for the love of my neighbor, for the sickness that comes to your body. My king is on the throne. Do we recognize the kingdom of God? All of history, all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Covenant is looking forward to a day called the day of the Lord when God will be made king. And as religion has become more and more a worldly construct, listen to this, as religion has become more and more a worldly construct, we lose the things that make following Jesus about the kingdom of God. Th this is something I want to make sure you understand this, that we look at this as a business plan, or we look at this as a team competition or a recruitment effort. You got to be able to demonstrate your success. So, so how do we know if, if we are, are doing well in these things? Well, we want to look at the number of followers. We want to look at, at how much money we have in the bank. We want to get these, these figures to try to figure out if we are doing this thing right. And it's no longer then about Jesus reigning, conquering death and sin and putting things right. And we make this about... Do we have the right number of followers? Are we doing these things? Are, are, we, are we looking the part? Are we dressing the part? Are we acting the part? All these things which then are about us and not about Jesus on the throne. Kingdom theology again puts Christ on the throne. How do I know I'm saved is a common question when you're thinking outside of the kingdom of God. Notice that John the Baptist's question was, are you the king we've been looking for and the answer is the evidence of the kingdom at hand. 
It's not about Jesus himself. The answer is, what do you see? Do you see evidence that God is reigning here? Do you see evidence? I, I, I could give you my degree. I could give you my credentials. I, I could tell you the lineage of, of how I came from, from the King David. I could give you all this messianic stuff. But what was his evidence that he was the king? What do you see happening around you? It's not even about that. It's not about me and my salvation because then I'm looking for church attendance, membership, certificates of baptism or conversions or classes completed or even gifts manifest and tongues spoken. You know, check. We could check all these things off. But Matthew 11:5 is a kingdom announcement. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The king is reigning. <laughs> the king is on his throne and this world is starting to look like the guy in charge is actually in charge. There's an adult in the room <laughs> who is taking care of business. We tend to grab things that are at hand. Often it's those things that are closest and comfortable and known. But when we understand that the king reigns and that's the power of God, that's the rule and reign of God, for what? Let's make this practical. For salvation, for discipleship, for evangelism. Now, don't act like you already knew that. Don't act like you could complete those sentences because let me explain how those things work, right? We think that we know this. We, we think that, that we understand that God's going to be doing these things, but when we look at how we practice these things, how do people get saved? Well, we have to, to speak the right things and we have to be able to get the, the right training. We have to be able to do this stuff. I've made it about me once again. For discipleship, I have to stop sinning. I have to do these things. I have to make sure that I understand my practices and do these things. It's about me then again. For evangelism, we have to go forth. We have to say these things with the right words at the right time. But again, this is a kingdom answer. We try to do these things with our own power, with our own authority, for our own reasons. You know, we become a disciple of a lot of things that's not a disciple of Christ. A disciple of, of this way of thinking or this school of thought or this church, or this pastor, or this, this small group methodology. All these things are ways that we've tried to do this. We try to save ourselves. We try to discipline ourselves. We try to save others. But the kingdom of God, when we rightly understand the rule and reign of God, that means that things around us are responding rightly to his word, to his decree, and his will. This means weather, demons, sickness, germs, even celestial objects are responding correctly to the rule and reign of God himself. And the thing is, our brains get in the way. And this is, this is really hard because we understand storm cells and weather patterns. And, and you know, I, when we understand these things, I find that we pray about them a whole lot less. You know what I mean? I, I, I find that whenever I think I understand my problems at work, this is a, a true example, by the way, I pray about my job less because I understand that I'm, I'm a computer programmer and I understand that when I run a program, it's going to follow these steps and things are going to go here. True story, a few years back, Christmas Eve, struggling trying to get something to work for the Australian Open, which was in a, in a few weeks. Couldn't get it to work at 
all. And I was spending day after day, hour after hour, going through bad code, trying to do this. I changed nothing, I kid you not, but I stopped and I prayed and I said, Lord, come. I need you. Like, I said, I don't understand. Well, if you can arrange the ones and zeros so it works, please do. I ran the same exact commands, same exact way, and it worked. And I, I went out and I was just like, he's Lord of the computer. <laughs> he's, he's the king of, of the internet. Like, do I believe that? Oh my goodness, my brain doesn't understand that. As a computer programmer, I don't get that. But here's the thing, I do believe it. I do believe it. As we understand bacteria and viruses, I think we pray about them a whole lot less. Because we don't expect him to be that. Like, well, I understand how this works. I understand the mechanisms of this. I understand the rules of science. And, and it just doesn't make sense to see these things out any other way. Like, of course, this is, of course there's going to be a storm and there's going to be a hurricane and there's going to be an earthquake. I understand all that. Why does this have to be about God himself? Well, because he is actually reigning now. And he can change things. Do we believe that or do we not? And we lean on our own understanding. And we forget that the king is on the throne. Let me tell you, I'm very pro-science, very pro-science. It's the manifestation of how the world functions, of how God himself constructed nature. Good science and good theology work in concert. I believe that wholeheartedly. But where is our hope? Where does our treasure lie? Do we have a king that is limited by the things that we understand or a God who is actually above and sovereign, even these things that we think we understand as fully as we can? If I had never prayed about that computer problem, I believe my Christmas Eve would have been ruined. And I, I, I mean that. I got desperate, and that's why I prayed. <laughs> Maybe we don't have to get to that point. Maybe we can recognize his lordship, his kingship, before we get that, where we say, you are king over my nine to five. You are king over this class. You're king over this, this world. You're king over politics. You're king over it all. I can trust that and not be anxious. God confounds the wise. You can't serve two masters. The thing is, I want to say that, that good theology and common sense will not conflict. I don't really believe that's true all the time. I want to say that you can be wise and intelligent in a way that the world teaches. And what I'm really saying is I want to stay respectable. <laughs> I want people to look at me and still think that, Josh, he's, he's a smart guy. You know, he's, he's, you know, I want to hold back some of this so that I can get that worldly respect still and still try to, to get it both ways. I don't think that's really possible. There's a John Wimber in the, in the vineyard. He's a minister who I greatly respect. And he would talk about how people would say to him, oh, your ministry is so great. You know, I want a ministry like yours. And in the sermon, he slammed the podium at that point. He goes, no, you don't. You don't want a ministry like mine. So you won't pay what it costs. <laughs> it costs you everything, he says. Then he says, but there's no other way. There's no other way. The kingdom being at hand demands something of us. The kingdom at hand demands something of us. I hit the point in Ava's nightly Bible study when the Israelites entered the promised land and Moses couldn't go. Y'all remember this? Moses couldn't go to the promised land. Do you remember why? Here's, here's your Sunday school question. He struck a rock instead of speaking to it. 
Because, you know, he, he had an understanding. He could hear. God spoke to him. <laughs> and God said, strike this rock the first time and water will come out. He struck the, the rock and water came out. Great. Everything works. The next time the Israelites are thirsty, they're like, do it again. And, and he prays and God says, speak to the rock. And he's like, ooh, that's weird. Because <laughs> it's weird, y'all, right? Speak to the rock and water will come out. So he's like, I know what to do. I've done this before. I have my own wisdom. I, I can handle this myself. I'm going to strike it again. And he struck the rock. Water came out. God still provided. But because of that, he could enter the promised land. I mean, th th this is one of those really hard things, right? Because, oh, so close, but it cost him more. And I find that that's, that's the thing. It costs us everything. God, even in the midst of this grand story of bringing Israel into the promised land, still cared about Moses' own pride. Do you understand that? It wasn't petty. God wasn't being petty. God cared about Moses, and, and he was saying, there's still parts of you that don't acknowledge me as king. You're still seeing yourself as the center of this thing. Let's work on that. And I really wonder, when he saw the Israelites go into the promised land, as he watched that, and he was dying on that mountain, if he actually had this moment of saying, you know, Lord, you are king of everything. I recognize that. His discipleship, I believe, was there to the end. So number two, after we see what's at hand, after we see the problems, after we see the rule and reign of God, the second thing is we have to do something about it. We have to do something about it. Because the kingdom being within reach means it's relevant. We, we have, if you look in the lobby there, we have a, a sign that says it's culturally relevant mission. Now, God is not aching for the day when people spoke King James English, okay? He's not longing for those wonderful days when people spoke Hebrew and, and, and Greek. He's not upset that we invented the internet and that we have iPhones. Well, maybe he's a little upset, but that <laughs> that's a joke. He's not confused by electricity and the bills that we have in the mail. But hear this, we're not chasing relevance. We're not trying to be relevant. Relevant isn't, isn't the forefront of our concerns. It happens to be that the kingdom is relevant because God is in charge. <laughs> right? It happens that he cares because he cares, so therefore in all these situations, he actually is there. He actually presents a way. He actually is knowledgeable and wise, and he's reigning over whatever we can bring before him. The kingdom is by its very nature relevant. The church then should follow suit. We cannot be those who, who try to shoehorn something old and ancient and just kind of dress it up in modern clothes, and we stick a podcast in front of it and say, there we go. Look how relevant things are. Because if the kingdom is at hand, if Jesus is king, then his rule and reign is actually the most relevant thing. This is the message that we bring. The message we speak is not, you've got to agree with me. The message we bring is not, stop doing bad things. The message we bring is a real God with a powerful love, with the authority to set things right. Look and see that it's here and now, that this applies to your situation, to your life, to your struggles, to your questions, to your doubts, to your brokenness. God is king, is relevant to you. I'm not trying to make you agree with me or see things through my point of view. Understand God is king. You see why kingdom theology first is so much better than here's my understanding of theology and here's why you should agree with me in seven points, you know? No, God is king. He rules over all. This is why I encourage us not to say, I'll be praying for you, but instead, can I pray for you right now? 
Let's pray about this right now. It's not a to-do list that we're going to try to handle this week in, in private, in seclusion, and, and then we don't really know if things manifest or not. If God is in charge, if God is king, well, then let's get this handled right now. Let's see what he has to say about this. And this is scary and daunting, and I myself need to get better at this. We get embarrassed and worried, worried and embarrassed, I think, for ourselves and for God. Th- th- this matters to me a lot. Intercession is often whenever we say, Lord, I pray that so and so and so. Intercession's good. Intercession is godly. We should be doing it all the time, okay? Ministry, though, ministry is when we say, be healed, <laughs> be delivered. Lord, let them know your love. These things are done in person with the person right there. Often when we come from ministry, what we have, and this is not a complaint about any individual or anything that you've done this, I do this myself too. But you come forward and what we do is this really awkward thing where it's like we pray for this person in front of them. It's almost like Christian eavesdropping, right? It's like, well, I'm going to talk to God. And it's also as if for some reason when that person is sharing what their problems are, that God wasn't listening. God was there already. <laughs> like, he heard them. He knows what's going on. They don't need you to repeat what they said to God. That, that, that is like a nonsensical view. But that's how the church has often handled ministry time. And what I believe we are called to be is a church that understands that God is ruling and reigning. And he, right now, he can do something about these things. So we say, be healed. We say, be delivered. We say, understand this and that and the other. That's how this works. Those of us who call him king are authorized to enforce his decrees. Can you imagine a a police force who wasn't authorized to enforce the laws of the land? Stop, or I'll say it again. (laughs) You know, they have no authority to do anything about it, so they turn on their sirens and you just keep driving because, you know, what what are you going to do? You're going to give me a strongly worded letter? No, that the police are actually authorized to pull me over and to give me a ticket when I'm speeding, right? It's crazy when I do weddings, I get to say the power vested in me by the state of North Carolina. What? (laughs) The state of North Carolina has given me the power to actually declare something true. I can say man and wife, and guess what? They agree because I said it. They have put this power and authority in me as a pastor. God has given you the authority to cast out demons. He's given the authority to forgive things on heaven, to release things in heaven and on earth. What in the world do you understand the authority that he's given us as followers of his? Because the king is on the throne. The most compelling revelation, the kingdom come, That's not an idea, it's not a rhetoric, it isn't a teaching. It's words and works tied together. If we seek this as a teaching only, we never fully embrace the kingdom come. It has to be manifest in action. It has to have evidence that God is actually ruling and reigning right now. Or else it's just words. Or else it's just an understanding, which is interesting, but so what? But the evidence of God on the throne is meant to be seen and practiced and realized by those who follow him. And we know this intrinsically. We, you know, what do we value more? One who understands what's right but does nothing? A spectator on life who toes the line? A, a, or a person who maybe foolishly plows in, bleeding and blundering but moving, moving things about? We like people who get these things done. We, we recognize... God bless them. They're in the thick of this thing and they're going to work this thing out. Matthew 21 talks about this. 
Incidentally, this is actually the passage when Jesus enters Jerusalem as king. It says this, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Simple question. Bible doesn't say that. Simple question, though. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Should be rhetorical, but they still answered the first. (laughs) They answered. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to, to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. The king reigned, so do something about it. So repent and believe and follow. Enter into the kingdom of God. Let his rule and reign affect you. So what? So he's here. So the king is reigning. So it's at hand, so we can trust God's sovereignty here and now. So why worry about tomorrow? It's not a mathematical formula or a mantra. It's a fought-for conclusion. Again, if we don't have a kingdom understanding, we can say, if I understand this correctly, then, then God's sovereignty plus the, the ineffectivity of my emotions of fear and anxiety means that I don't have to worry about things. Right? Does that help you <laughs> to say, I can understand this intellectually, right? And you can understand that intellectually. God is reigning. My anxiety does nothing. Therefore, I guess I shouldn't worry. And you hear that preached, and it's like, okay, but yet I'm still feeling anxious inside. Or maybe if I repeat this idea long enough, if I say this loud enough, if I, if I speak with my own mouth, then maybe I'm going to start to feel that it's true. And then again, we're taking this on ourselves, like I have to do something to drive this anxiety out of me. Neither of those really work. This is why it's got to be a kingdom truth. It's not a conclusion. It's not a mystical hope. You know what what people do in anxiety attacks? I don't know if you know people who struggle with, with real anxiety. You focus on your breathing, right? Look at me. Look at look me in the eyes. You, you anchor them to the here and now, right? Because the kingdom's at hand. This is where we find him. We don't find him just in the past. We don't find him just in the future. The kingdom of God is here and now. If you're anxious, Make eyes with Jesus. <laughs> Understand this. Focus on your breathing. Bring it under his authority and say, Lord, rule and reign over this here and now. I need you here and now. It's to the things that they can control when somebody's suffering from anxiety where you say, focus on what you control. Bring it here. And as Christians, when we're suffering this, bring it under his control. The things that we have under our control, give to him as king. Say, I've been struggling with this. Lord, I, I leave it at your throne. I, I, I'm worried about this. Can I trust you with this? And it's a world of difference from a mantra, from trying to take this as a command on trying to not feel a certain way when you do feel a certain way to actually saying he is king. Special note, the kingdom is now and not yet. <laughs> I'll be getting into that later in the series. But what is at hand? Do we do what we have to do with it? I'm, I'm a Nintendo kid. You know, I grew up with the original Nintendo Entertainment System. And I'll, I'll never forget, there was a time whenever I got a, a Wii. 
um, I fell off of, of kind of technology for a ways. Like we got married, I was getting older, didn't have these things. And I was setting up a Wii to do a men's bowling thing in a, in a church we were at before. We we're going to have a men's night with the, the Wii bowling. And so I'm setting this thing up and I had no idea what, what to do. You get a point in the instructions where it says point at the screen. All right. So I'm, I'm used to like cursors and I'm like hitting the button, like trying to th get this thing to work. Cause I'm like, I know how thing I know how computers work. Like I work in IT. So I'm using the controller and it says point at the screen and I can't get this to, to work. So like five minutes, the associate pastor and I were like working on this thing, can't figure it out. And finally I just like pointed it up like the Wii, the nunchuck at the screen and the pointer moved <laughs> and I lost my mind. I was like, oh, oh my goodness. I had no idea that like, oh, <laughs> the coolest thing I had ever seen in my life. I had this technology in hand. I had no idea how it worked. I didn't follow the hype. I wasn't a part of these things. I thought it was just going to be a game system. Like I didn't understand how it worked. And I think often that's us with the kingdom of God. We don't understand how this thing really works. We have this thing at hand. God is reigning. He's ruling right now. We don't get how far that goes. We don't get the joy and the freedom from that because we're still worried about the anxieties. We're still worried about the fears. There's so much freedom to be had. There's a sense of empowerment, of wonder, of fulfillment, a sense of purpose, of hope when things work as they should. There's that satisfying feeling when something fits in the exact right space, when you know that you're at home, and that feeling when things work out as they should. Final point, if we're not practitioners of the kingdom of God, if we are not practitioners of the kingdom of God, we are in danger of preaching a different gospel than what Jesus himself preached. Let, let, really hear that. If we are not practitioners of the kingdom of God, we are in danger of preaching a different gospel than what Jesus himself preached because we're authorized to enforce his will. Kingdom of God means that words and works are tied together. So we're going to do ministry. And I mean do ministry. There are things in this room that are broken and out of joint. I don't know what they are. Our, our, our job is not really, we, we don't really want to embarrass anybody. This isn't about calling your sin into the public light. That, that's, that's not it. You know. <laughs> you, you, you know what's broken in your life. And it's funny because we, we, we treat our physical things like it's not an embarrassment. We treat spiritual things like, oh, I don't want people to know my failures. We're all sinners. We're, we're all broken. If your marriage is struggling, if your kids are struggling, if your body's struggling, let's confront that with a king on the throne. That's what we want to do. In fact, we want to do that every week, right? But, but particularly this week with what I think Anne was praying, with what, what Nikisha shared, like God's up to something here, okay? That, that this, we didn't sync up beforehand and, <laughs> and make sure that this was all going to be nice and, and lined up. A good pastor might do that. I don't, I don't work that way. But the Holy Spirit is in charge, okay? And I do believe what you came into this room knowing is broken can be set right. I believe that whether that's your, your relationships, whether that's your body, whether that's anything that you might have, it can be set right. So I'm going to pray for us now as a, as a dismissal. I don't think we're going to have worship come up to conclude. To, we're, we're all different. <laughs> we're going to do ministry, though. And if there's anything at all that you know needs to be set right, please don't leave before that's addressed, okay?